Hello and welcome to BakaCast for the 11th week of the Spring 2017 anime season. I'm your host Dustin and with me today is Ben. Yo. Larry. Uh-huh. And Aaron, who is gracing us with his presence because it's not like you can play FF14 right now anyway. I only gotta wait another six hours. <laughs> I will be asleep by then, but I'll play it in the morning before I go to work. Um, as always, you can find show notes for this episode at www.projectharhi.net, or you can find it at www.audioentropy.com, which is probably the website I should say first, now that I think about it, but oh well. Aaron, let's start with Sekai Suru Kado, because yo... Stuff so, happened like the in this first, episode. The first uh, eighteen or so minutes of the of this episode really don't matter. Yeah, um, basically, <laughs> it's the last three that are uh, the hell of a thing. Simple. Yeah, yeah. So I can't even remember what was going on in the first like half of this episode or so. Well, like. It- well, okay. Well, oh right, was... it was it was it was uh, Zasha. What whatever the hell, the alien. Uh, yeah, Zasha Nina. Yeah, it was Zasha Nina revealing the last thing uh, that he was going to gift humanity, and it's like total spatial and gravitational control. Yeah, uh, and that's where he that's where he uh, that's where he starts revealing. His grand design, like pretty much this entire episode, honestly, is Ashinina spouting exposition at Shindo, uh, where he's like, yeah, so by the way, the reason I'm doing this whole thing is that uh, y'all are a simulation that was created by me and the other anastrophic beings. You're basically human, you're basically the hum, the, uh, a glorified Bitcoin miner, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, and you exist to do computations for us uh, and Shindo's like that doesn't sound okay and then Zashinia's like oh well I guess I revealed this whole grand plan a bit too early before you were ready that's okay I can just murder you and then I can bring the clone I made of you who this I, w- I won't have said this, so I won't have tainted your reaction. And he's like, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's when the totally ordinary uh, female negotiator like takes off her ring and then bursts through Kado, and it turns out she is also an astrophic being, and now they're having a lightsaber fight. And this became a whole different anime show, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, we just got... We we went from fairly thoughtful political thriller into <clears throat> full Chunibyo. Well, not Chunibyo, because it's not involving, like, 12-year-olds. But full Shonen, I guess. <laughs> it was kind of a crazy tonal shift. Yeah. Yeah, it was also really good. I yeah, like... no. 
Well, okay, yeah, like early on, earlier on, there were actually some significant things happening in the earlier parts of the episode. I mean, although they pale by comparison to what happened at the end, but but still, there yeah. were some significant things happening. For instance, it, it it shows like some of the consequences of the of the deployment of whams, you know, because it shows like people like uh, you know basically making whams and using them to power their stuff. <clears throat> there was that shot, that, yeah. There was that shot of like these, like you know. You know, people in Africa using it to power their lights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and like also there was exchanges between uh, Tsukai. That's the uh, female negotiator who turned out to be an anisotropic being. Yeah, uh, yeah. There was an exchange between Tsukai and Shinawa, the crazy scientist. The scientist. Yeah. No, that that was definitely a nice conversation. <laughs> it, you know, is like. You know, trying, you know, the, like, the science, you know, try, like, uh, Sakai's, like, you know, trying to get the scientists to figure out how to, you know, interfere with the Fregonics, presumably meaning to break into Kado. Yeah, without having to reveal her true identity. Because yeah. Because she's trying to stay hidden from Zashunina. Yeah, except she ends up having to do it the hard way. Cause, yeah, also, uh, you know, was like, uh, I'll need three days. Yeah, also Zashi Yuna makes a comment that reveals that, like, apparently Earth had an anastropic being specifically assigned to them to watch over them. Yeah, to that cocoon. Yeah. Um, which makes me wonder what the hell Zashi Nina is doing here. <laughs> it sounds like he just wanted to speed up the process at which Earth gave them information yeah which makes me wonder if he's like a rogue agent within the anastropic beings or if they're just getting impatient and is like all right you can represent us or or even if like the anastropic beings are even in regular converse like contact because we really don't know a lot about them because like shindo has been giving zashinina basically all the information about earth uh and Zashinia has given no information about the anastropic beings themselves in return. Um, but yeah, it uh, as as kind of hilarious as I found the fi- the reveal in this episode to be, like I I can't say I don't dig it <laughs> because I was feeling like this show definitely needed to take have like some sort of shakeup uh, because it was feeling so samey. Yeah, uh, I, I think episodes. we all knew that there was going to be some huge twist with the alien, and he was turn probably going to turn out to be bad or, or doing it for some non-altruistic reasons. We all knew that was coming. It was just a yeah, matter I just, of when the shoe dropped. I just wasn't expecting, like, l- laser sword fight. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, <laughs> shonen battle manga. Yeah, yeah, that that's the thing that most surprised me. Well, like, well, so I, more I, like maybe you you looked up and somebody changed the channel on you. Um, yeah, yeah. I, and also like it it kind of retroactively makes. Uh, is it Sukaya? Was it Sukai? Sukai. It makes it makes Sukai's behavior as like kind of like a little bit ditzy make a lot 
more sense in retrospect because she's technically an alien. Like, she doesn't really have the same perspective as humans do. Well, I think if I had to guess, I'd be assuming that the anti-stropic being, the the cocoon uh, administrator, gets, like, reincarnated? Possibly. Like, we don't really know. She may have just inserted herself into the world more directly as soon as Ashinina arrived and, like, because I mean, they can do a lot of stuff. It wouldn't yeah. surprise me if she could just insert herself. That'd be an interesting it. twist that she just like affected the consciousness of humanity in order to uh, like uh, align and create her own persona. Yeah. Because um, I mean, if if they can, because like again, Zashina mentions that they've created a lot of cocoons, and each of those cocoons is a simulation essentially like they're essentially building extremely complex computer systems Um, well well no well what they're doing is they're they're building they're building universes and yes but the way they're building universes the way that we might be that we might build computer software and like a, a environment within that software they create they set the parameters they um decide what variables there are going to be, what constants there are. They define how those different constants and variables interact with each other. They essentially define every bit of code, essentially, about how that universe runs. I mean, this is essentially, like, (laughs) Sekai Sura Kado is presenting a universe in which uh, Elon Musk is correct about his views on what the universe is. Um, yeah. As always, he is a prophet. Why is there no <laughs> oh, religion sol- uh, revolving around him? Oh God, I hope not. Scientology 2.0. <laughs> oh jeez, no. Let's let's not worship a technocrat. <laughs> yeah, no, What's no, the no. worst that could happen, Dustin? Uh, but yeah, like this is this is essentially like the universe is a sim- simulation um, interpretation of <laughs> our world. We, we full uh, and star so it would not, now? and so it would not surprise me in the least if, um, as an astropic being who exists outside of the simulation and can create and modify said simulation, that uh, Sukai could also edit the simulation on the fly to make her essentially have always existed in the role she needed. In order to watch over it, yeah. Um, but that, but that wouldn't necessarily automatically give her the skills necessary to interact with that, interact with the humans in that simulation, like, uh, like naturally. So her being a little, a little bit strange and off, off kilter and not exactly professional would make way more sense if that was the case. Yeah, we'll see. We'll have to wait until tomorrow. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this turn of events, honestly. Like the, yeah. the, the one thing that's weird is that like I was waiting, I was waiting for something like this to happen, but I didn't think it would happen now. I figured episode 11 <laughs> because like we have 10, 11, and 12 to go through and that seems yeah. a lot of time to cover something that seems like it would be resolved in one episode I figure like 10, 11 
will likely be a sort of the the actual conflict. Um, and then the 12 will likely be the Denoma where we sort of get like a combination conclusion in an epilogue, essentially. Yeah, 20 years really, later. If I had to guess, yeah. Yeah, because like, yeah, sure, we might, like, if we defeat, uh, if Zashinini is defeated, if his plans are uh, ruined, I mean, we we still have that, Earth still has that knowledge, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, unless, unless they're Unless, uh, say, um, Shindo, like, asks Tsukai to remove that knowledge. Well, the one thing that I couldn't quite understand is, what is the alien's, like, goal? He asked Shindo if he wanted to come with him to the Antistropic, but I don't understand why, what that would do. So that's where it gets fuzzy, because, like, he says he wants information, but, like, information on what exactly? Well, I have a thought about that, <clears throat> and which is that, okay, so, okay, think about this, is that, like, right, so what the, uh, what the anisotropic beings did was, okay, they created, they created a whole bunch of universes, and each universe has different, has different physical constants. Like, so like, you know, you know, so like, yeah. so like, you know, so like Planck's constant, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, they set them up with different parameters. Right. And, right. And so then what they do is they, is they, you know, they basically let these universes run to see what kind of things will emerge from them. Uh, because, and that is the information that they're looking for. They're basically looking yeah, for but- like... Basically, but what's no, the ro- goal of the experiment, though? Like, no, it, the the goal of the experiment is to produce something novel. Is to basically produce, like, like to let the simulation run and see what it produces and hope that it produces something interesting. Because so that so he's basically saying that throughout all these universes, though, one thing he hadn't seen yet is specifically the creation of humanity. Yes, of, so of the, Homo sapiens, right? Or, or you know, is that basically a kind of basically? Man, that's depressing. <laughs> right. Well, no, because that essentially it, means that there, like, literally, is no one else. That's essentially positing that in the in, in that entire universe, there is no other sapient li- life like us. Right. <laughs> wow. Well, see, but again, the thing is, is that what what purpose does it serve then? Like, if, yeah. if all they want is to see something novel, then wouldn't they just stay outside and observe? Well, well, they wanted to... And yeah, even, I even if they sent uh, Zashinina in to sort of speed up the process, why, maybe, why is he saying, oh, Shindo, do you want to come with me to the Antistropic? Which... Maybe, maybe the goal was creating a, a universe in which... Um, in which sapient beings who uh, existed that could become other anastropics. Maybe the whole goal is to create, is to be able to produce more anastropic beings. I don't know. I don't know. I think or, we're going to have to wait. Because, like, we don't know how they reproduce or if they even do reproduce. Right. We don't know anything, basically. Because they seem to be essentially immortal. Or at least I right. would guess. 
Well, yeah. What it is is that the, basically they are outside of our space and time. So, yeah. like, what or, yeah. space and time is to them is totally different. Yeah, or even if they did age, like, it wouldn't really matter, cause it, at least not to us, because they exist outside of our dimensions, so they could just visit any point in our time that they wanted to at any point in their lives. So them having an age... Which brings up an interesting So, so them a- aging, essentially, like, it wouldn't matter to us. Which brings up an interesting question. If that's true, then why would they need to speed things up if they can already just advance to the end? So I don't uh, think that's the case. Yeah, uh, maybe. Uh, um... I don't know. Hmm. We don't have enough information. Yeah. Yeah, but it's interesting to speculate on this stuff. It's part of the entertainment value of this show. Uh, yeah, so now yeah. we've just been thrown a nice juicy fish. Yeah, I mean, like, I think structurally the show is kind of hinky in that, you know, you had, like, things moving very slow for, like, for most of it, and then... <laughs> and then just bomb, and then just, like, and then just... A huge bombshell at the end. Uh, yeah. But overall, I liked it. I give it a four. Uh, yeah, I'll totally agree with that four. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, goodbye, Aaron, I guess. <laughs> I'm gonna go read patch notes and weep about how the white mage got screwed over. Stare at some patch notes. Um, uh, I guess. Be safe. See y'all later. You, you could, you could play a red mage, Aaron. I don't. I don't. I'm. I'm thinking about going samurai, but I did level uh, um, bard up to 31, and I was gonna get uh my rogue is 21. I was gonna try for a ninja, but yeah. And bard will be nice now that wanderer's minuet no longer turns you into a caster. Well, I I was kind of annoyed because I was like, oh man, I'm never gonna get the ability to try that out before they change it. Then I was like, wait a minute, Palace of the Dead lets me uh be level 60 at 451. Oh, yeah. So I went yeah. in there and tried it. And it annoyed me, not because of the cast thing, because I'm used to that as a caster, but because the recast time is 2.5 seconds, but the cast time is only 1.5. <laughs> <laughs> so, since I'm used to hitting the button again to, to redo the cast at the end yeah. of the cast bar... It just threw things off, and I couldn't. I couldn't get onto it. So, <laughs> anyway, oh. this is an anime yeah. podcast. So I'll see you guys later. I mean, Final Fantasy is basically an anime. Yeah, that's close enough. <laughs> All right, come see with ya. Me to, come with me to the cast bar. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, rock the cast bar. <laughs> yeah. Cast okay. Bar. Where we're going? Uh, Alice uh, Tozoriku, episode ten. Where Sana makes a very, very bad mistake. Uh, Sana shows her inexperience and age. Yeah, <laughs> so not only does she completely get the wrong person, and then completely fail to understand moral nuance, um, but then when she gets the quote-unquote correct person finally into her like fantasy Trap. world, like their powers interact with each other and 
like nullify uh, each other but the problem yep. is is that they're still in wonderland when that happens so now they're trapped and a bunch of anomalies are happening outside in the real world and just mucking everything up yeah they, uh, they threw the kill switch and killed everything pretty much uh yeah and now zoraku is gonna be a badass grandpa and get in there and yeah. give sauna a stern talking to there's about, nothing wrong with a badass grandpa. About the lessons of using your powers responsibly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Alice is real. Or Alice, Sana. I keep, I keep calling her out. Anyway, Sana was really obnoxious in this episode. Oh God, yeah, holy Exceptionally. cow! And it's like I get. I get that that's kind of the point because she's supposed to be like a very simple person who doesn't understand like the nuances of living in reality and like she's been extremely lucky in terms of like her own family life because both of the people who have taken her in are extremely loving and caring and she really doesn't have a care in the world right now. But other people don't. Other people come from much harsher experiences and have had to make compromises in order to live or have made bad decisions for what they felt were the right reasons. Um, and she doesn't get that. Uh, and so, like, I get, I understand why they have Sana act like this because it makes sense considering yeah character and where she comes from but yes, oh my it gosh was, it's just so annoying yes it was totally believable but really frustrating to watch i, I think possibly because like it's dragged out a lot um and Too much. that she repeats herself a whole bunch like how many how often did she say like oh i'm so frazzled right now uh, she would she was frazzled she was she was so frazzled that she should have come unraveled frazzled right and like to be fair to the voice actress, she does the absolute best she can with what she's given. But yeah, yeah, it was it was a challenging it was challenging. Yes, it's kind of rough. I did super enjoy when uh, Sana puts um, Hanachan's friend in a birdcage and then like attempts to come back out of the bathroom that she put Wonderland in to like leave her trapped there, and then Zoraku. Like he's trying to go into the bathroom, and he sees Wonderland. He's like, "Sana, what did you do with my bathroom?" <laughs> so I was like, "Uh, <laughs> did you just look me in the eye and then walk away?" Wrong move. Yeah, that was maybe that was probably one of the best moments of the episode. Is when Saruku's like, "What did you do with my bathroom?" Yikes! Yeah, yeah, it was a. Uh... It was an uneven episode for me. I give, yeah. it a three. I give it a three. Yeah, yeah. Like I feel like I'm gonna enjoy the next episode quite a bit, but yeah, this this third one was I appreciated what it was attempting to do, but it, it, its execution was often was kind of a mixed bag. So yeah, I'll give it a three. Its execution was off. <clears throat> yeah. All and right. Three two. Oh. Also. Nice. Uh, Sorry. Moving on to Little Witch Academia episode twenty three. This, yeah. So uh, you know how you were asking um, about whether Latte and um, Susie would be a big deal. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I predicted that. Oh yeah, next episode. Sure enough. Yep. Um, this this was essentially about all the focus of this episode was both on in the first half it was on uh, a flashback giving us backstory on what sort of how um, Ursula slash um, Shiny Chariot uh, came to make her fateful um, decision at the uh, magic show um, and how she was kind of suckered into it yeah um, but still cried. feels extremely guilty about it. So guilty that she cast a massive amnesia spell using the moon as a catalyst. No, that was actually that was actually Croy who did that. Was it? I yeah, could have sworn yeah, that was no. What? Yeah, because what happened? Because Croy acts surprised. Y- yes, I she thought. was, and she used the amnesia spell to to basically cover up what uh, Chariot had just done, which is uh, what she did was. She used the uh, she used the like uh, the magic words from the shiny rod to basically blow a hole in the moon. Okay, I'm confused because like uh, I I thought I thought that uh, shiny chariot did that because when the moon gets struck, that's when um, like it cuts to Croy going, "Oh my god, it, amnesia spell." Yeah. yeah, which I thought that was I thought that was Croy identifying for the audience what Chariot just did. No. At least that's how I interpreted it. No, that was Croy uh, hastily casting an amnesia spell on the fly, I believe. Oh, hmm. okay. See, I thought Chariot was intentionally doing an amnesia spell in order to make people forget about her because she felt guilty about what she did and wanted to just disappear. Yeah, no. that's what I got. Okay. It, it's okay. I, it, it's pretty unclear. So it could be either. Who knows? But uh, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Ultimately, ultimately, it, it's kind of a minor detail. Yeah, that yeah that part was interesting. But for me, the real heart of this episode was the conversation between Diana and Akko. Yeah, that one was real good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it just sort of solidified yeah, my love of Diana you know, as I, like this the really only person complex whose magic was broke. Yeah, like it. it just... Yeah, and yeah, that was like that. Just made me love Diana even more. Yeah, yeah. Where Diana reveals to Akko that she yeah, also she yeah, has she that rare. When she explained how she was at the magic show at the same time as Akko, and she had lost her magic, but then got it back. Live editor's note: um, my wife, my Wi-Fi dropped out, so I had to troubleshoot that for like 10 minutes uh so yeah hard cut into no segue necessary uh into talking about diane again who's great uh and mentions to akko that like oh yeah i i went to a sh- the same shiny chariot uh performance because i loved her too um and i got my magic stolen and akko's like oh all this time i thought you were just like this spoiled girl who had just magic talent handed to her but you just worked your ass off for it yeah that pretty much got um, it yeah and like having diana which makes which makes it even more <laughs> like even more obvious 
um, and understandable why when Diana initially met Akko, she just had absolutely no time for her. Oh yeah, familiarity breeds contempt. Because Diana was like, "Man, I came from the exact from the same like situation, and like you were just not taking anything seriously." <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, that gets back to that familiarity breeds contempt. Mm-hmm. Um. So, moving along, uh, Diana finds Akko. And Latte and the rest of them find uh, Akko. And her chariot finds Ursula. And it's gonna get... No, it is getting ugly. We're past gonna. It is gonna get ugly. Yeah. Where, uh... Yeah, Croy has... Where Croy has, uh... Moved into her... Yeah, moved into the final stages of her plan to use uh, to use anger uh, to power magic. Yeah, and that actually brings up an interesting thing because, like, I've like as the series has gone on, because like I remember when this thing started, and um, the sort of the creators like talked openly about. Uh, sort of Akko and Diana being two sides of the same coin uh, and the and like the witch academy and magic sort of being a metaphor for like working in a creative field specifically the anime industry like it was an anime that through obfuscated means was about creating anime and like just being a creative type people being a creator in general um, and so, like, I had kind of kept that in the back of my mind uh, when this sort of new focus started. I started thinking about, like, what they were trying to say. Um, and it's interesting to me that they went with this emotional thing because it makes a lot of sense. Uh, because it is extremely easy to like I've, I've sort of been thinking of it in in relation to how creative people interact with a system where in, in a capitalist system where their creation needs to be competitive in a marketplace and how oftentimes that leads to people and organizations uh, creating certain types of content that they know will get them get the most attention we'll get the most page views we'll get the most clicks the most shares and as we know from the internet uh the things that gets the most views and get thus gets the most ad revenue for the people creating it uh is stuff that uh incites negative emotions things like anger and fear uh and paranoia uh it's why breitbart has been so successful um, and plenty of other sort of outrage news sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like the same thing often holds true for entertainment as well. Like it's, if, if you can just like, cause we often complain about, uh, anime that just seems to sort of 
cannibalize stuff that has already worked before that kind of caters to very much a sort of simplistic kind of fan servicey otaku bait style mm-hmm. uh and how that is such like an insular thing lately um and it seems like the anime that like sort of reject that mold come few and far between uh things like eccentric family things like uh kyoso giga um and some of those are successful, but a lot aren't. Uh, and this this whole thing, this whole arc feels a lot to me like kind of the conflict between Croy trying to manipulate, uh, uh, like being a sort of buying in to the idea of, well we i do what the market responds to um i'm not in it for the craft anymore i'm in it to survive i'm in it to keep it alive and i will do whatever it takes to keep myself making money and to keep like this industry afloat Uh, and if that means i have to cater to whatever is the most profitable according to focus groups that's what I will do. Uh, whereas Shiny Chariot and, um, by extension, Akko and Diana believe in is, no, I want to create what I want to create. Uh, and if people respond to it, great. And if people don't, that's okay too. But I want to put my heart into it. I want to put my soul into it. Uh and sort of having the courage to do that, even if it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do, or even the most successful thing to do, or even if that gets you looked down on. In other words, uh, they don't want to be a cog in the wheel, they want to be the wheel. Exactly. And it's it it's it's a very this arc takes on a very interesting tone when you think about it from the perspective of sort of how this whole thing started as a metaphor for creativity uh, and for being a person who writes. Yeah, that's, yeah, and that actually, uh, yeah, that ties in with the, uh, you know, like the motto for the whole series, which is a believing heart is your magic. Yeah, because like, when you think about it, like, I, I think we all could name, like, like, well, all of us, all of us hosts, and I bet anyone who listens to this podcast would be able to cite a specific piece of entertainment media that really affected their lives, uh, that made them think about things they hadn't thought about before, that made them into a different person. I certainly know I can. I've talked about it on this podcast before, in fact, um, that I, I would not be the person I am without uh, some of the media I've consumed over the years. Um, that has had an ex- extremely positive effect on my life and has, like, and pushed me into this identity I have now of someone who not only consumes media, but who also wants to understand it, how it works, and how it, how it creates this emotion in me and others. Um, and that's very much what Diana and like bl- what blatantly Akko says in w- the very first episode. She wants to 
make people happy and to brighten people's lives and to make them love like what shiny chariot shows did for her when she was a child uh and i think there are a lot of creators out there that believe that as well um and the problem with anime and also just with entertainment media in general, let's be honest here, is that it can be very difficult um, and can often require quite a bit of luck and knowing the right people um, in order to make that dream a reality just because of how our economic system works. Well, um, well, the other thing about the other thing about the, uh, the anime industry is, is the issue of risk. Yeah. Um, and that, and <laughs> like, that, it, yeah, and that basically because it's impossible, it's impossible to predict, like with certainty, what's going to be a hit. And so, yeah. one approach that a lot of you know creators take is basically doing something that is low risk but low reward. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where you get, you know, the, you know, like, nth light novel adaptation and whatnot. You know, things that is going to have a built-in audience. A, a, you know, a built-in audience doesn't that doesn't take much investment but gets a predictable return. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, that's and like, you can, you can see that manifest itself in sort of the Witch Academy itself because... One of the big things about uh, that the professors emphasize is that, like, we just want to keep this academy alive. So we stick to tradition. We stick to what works. Don't mess with it. Don't push the boundaries. Just do what we tell you. Do what's appropriate. And we'll keep going on. Yeah, which in a way is not the way. Yeah, which, like, maybe it'll keep you alive, but it won't grow your audience. It won't get more people into what you care about. It won't make people go, oh, this is something I want to be a part of. Dusty, they're taking the easy way out. Yeah. They're, they're you know, um, you know for, for, the amount, for the amount of effort required, uh, they're not making any effort. They're, they're just, you know, they're taking an established norm and saying, yeah, this will work. Let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. And they've almost stifled creativity. And then Akko shows yeah. up. That, yeah. That's why, like, that's that, why the, that, well, that's why the Akko was never the senior witch's favorite because they saw what she could do and they're like, eh, no, pretty much. Yeah, and it, I just, I, I sort of like, uh, I've started thinking about this sort of thing when I watched this episode, I want to say like three days ago, I believe. Uh, and it's just made me appreciate the the past arc so much more. Um, because like, at, on its own, just sort of like ignoring sort of the analytical context of all of this it's an extremely well done uh universe it's 
wonderful character building. It's a really fun plot. Um, but it also serves as this really brilliant metaphor on the nature of creativity and how that interacts with the world and how the desire to keep the thing that you love around can sometimes make you like make bad decisions, things that hurt what you care about. Um, Part of those and things. we see that in, and we see that manifest in different ways, both in the Academy's <laughs> rigid, uh, like clinging to tradition and in, um, and in uh, Croy's sort of shakeup of that tradition that really only binds the, the school even further to a dependence on the whims of a sort of mob, essentially, with ba- essentially no input whatsoever on what the witches want to do with their magic. <laughs> Well, they, um, they became self-reliant on what they thought was a mi- limitless power supply, and surprise, yeah. surprise, surprise. And, like, both are equally destructive, but in very different ways. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's just made me love this series a whole lot more, thinking about it from that lens. Yeah, yeah it's not just a fun show. It's not just a fun show. It's actually got some... It actually has some thematic depth to it. Yeah, which has been a theme for like, like we've had that in Kato. We've had a little bit anyway. We've at the very least Kato has inspired a lot of like fun discussions on like uh, technological progress and how that interacts with sort of uh, humanity's like um, nature to both make the best use out of a tool and the worst use out of a tool. Uh, we've gotten a lot of fantastic discussion with Eccentric Family. Um, so I wasn't expecting this season to like be the season where I got super English nerdy. <laughs> and yet here we are, <laughs> especially with a trigger show. Cause like, like, yeah, trigger show, like Gurren Lagan like certainly has, uh, more going on to that going more going on with it than just like giant robots and manliness uh much like how uh and like again gynex got its start sort of got uh got popular with evangelion which was extremely steeped in this sort of in-depth literary analysis with its its multiple meanings and its sort of deep character building and uh analysis of the nature of humanity um but it's been a while since i've been able to do this with a gynax slash trigger show actually Uh, i will even recall you you had a few you had a few discussions on kill a kill which went places yeah, yeah, I did. Um, but also, I almost, I, I almost felt like that was, like, those certainly existed in Kill a Kill, but at the same time, I felt like Kill a Kill was pretty messy with its metaphors as well, um, where it often felt like it contradicted itself 
Uh, whereas with Little Witch, it's been really solid just the whole way through. Um, like, I appreciate what Kill a Kill was trying to do in a lot of cases, but I also felt it was highly flawed in other places as well. Yeah, but... Still, I had a similar it, feeling about uh, a very. I had a very similar feeling about um, Yuri Bearstorm too. To be perfectly honest, like both of those shows, I felt were uh, shows with, like at at their core, like good messages about self acceptance uh, and um, sort of embracing different identities. Uh, but, um, well, I, I should say I, I felt kill. A, Sorry, I'm. Yeah, I completely destroyed my train of thought. But like they, they were both shows with um, good messages at their core, uh, but occasionally like stepped into some weird areas that I felt didn't really, uh, at times, contradicted the good messages they were trying to send. In other words, That's what they, I'm trying to say. They really stepped in it. Occasionally, yeah. Okay. Well. But yeah, it's it, it's nice to it's nice to have a trigger show again where I can just like unreservedly say yes, this is fantastic from both a storytelling perspective and also from a uh, a, a thematic perspective. Yeah, uh, even Space Patrol Luluco. Yeah, <laughs> I still haven't watched had, that. Had, I should. Had, well, had some had some good stuff there. And see, Susie was in Luluco too. Yeah, it's oh man. Yeah, the, the, like yeah, Space Patrol Luluco is full of references to other Trigger shows. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's really fun actually. And see, and at, at the and I'll spoil the end of it for you. At the end, uh, Ludico's flying through space, and she runs into Akko coming the other way on a broom. Wait, really? Super. Yeah, there was. <laughs> that's nice yeah I, sh- I should watch i should watch luluco at some point yes you should i keep hearing very nice things about it yes just haven't gotten around to it uh anyway now um, just remember ben, it, have... it, just remember it is a typical trigger show <laughs> ben larry do you have other stuff to say about little witch because i no, think i definitely used my yeah. a lot of time <laughs> i well yeah what i have to say is like you know when like the conversation between uh, Diana and Akko, and like Diana laid it all out and put, you know, and literally put her card on the table. I choked up a bit at that yep. point. Yeah, it was a really beautiful scene. Well, uh, see, so I give this episode a five. It was, it was great. Well, I'm going to give it a five because that uh, last scene where uh, Chariot is Chariot transforms into Chariot. And says, all right, look, I don't know what you're going to do. I got a good idea what you're going to do, but you're not going to do it. And I don't care what I got to do to stop you. Yeah. And, and, that, right. and that what I got to do to stop you, that's what I'm waiting for. And if it turns out to be, oh, am I going to be, you guys won't be able to put up with me. Yeah. Moving along and along. Yeah, so I give this a five as well, obviously. Um and let's now talk about My Hero Academy, episode 24. Yep. 
So dad praises the son, and son says, yeah, you know, I used it by accident. I still have to rethink a few things, and kind of reached over and backhanded dad from a distance. Yeah, that was good. Uh, yeah. I'm also really happy that uh, even though, is it Ida? Yes. Ida is the speedster. Yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm really glad that even though Ida lost in his match against uh, uh, Todoroki, that he put up a pretty good fight. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah, because he, I love that dude. <laughs> yeah, he he's landed a, he, he landed a solid hit on him. He's a good, very earnest boy. Yeah, <laughs> I want him to succeed. Well, and yeah, as you can see, what was also happening in between the uh, the the tournament matches was uh, you had Ida's brother uh, chasing down a villain and being defeated by him. Yeah, deadly yeah. defeated. Uh, yeah, by the hero killer. Yeah, so it's like they're <laughs> Yeah, they they're setting up they're setting up the next arc there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Captain Weirdo from the previous arc is like, Oh, I want you to join the team, okay? And I appre- and I really appreciate them doing this now rather than just being like, Alright, end of the tournament arc. Suddenly a new development. <laughs> like it, it I not I like that it's being introduced sort of like during the tournament still going on. Yeah. Yeah, just not completely, uh, totally out of the blue. Also, the conversation again. We we sort of get the Diana Akko moment in this episode between Deku and uh, All Might, where All Might said, "Like I started out just like you. I was also quirkless. Even like it was, it was less rare in those days, but still, like it was, it was an issue for me." Uh, and then someone gave me this power. Uh, and so having All Might tell Deku that he knows exactly sort of where where his mindset is coming from and, like, why he does the things he does. Actually, uh, it was just a really beautiful moment, and All Might is maybe one of my favorite characters in all of anime. Uh, he's, he's certainly up there in the top five, I would say. <laughs> he's a, a soup. he's so good. Yeah, I, actually, I remember, uh, yeah, at the end of, at the end of last year, when we were giving our awards, you had him as your favorite, uh, as, as your, as your favorite male character. Oh, yeah. Um, I, and, and like, I, I sort of come into this with a certain bias because I've always been a huge fan of Superman. There's nothing wrong with uh, and, that. And All Might is basically like if if Superman had Captain America's origin story. <laughs> so uh he, like he's kind of designed to appeal to me. Um but also like he's he's just <laughs> like he has like he's he's very clearly designed to be this sort of hyper masculine macho character, but he's masculine in a very positive way. He presents a he presents a vision of masculinity that is about using your strength to empower other people uh, and protect other people rather than bully them or assert your dominance over them. And I feel that's such a nice thing to have 
um, especially in today's world where there's there are a lot of people being held up as these sort of masculine patriarchs who are who use who use that image of themselves to do very harmful and toxic things to the people around them to the people who are most vulnerable uh, and I don't think I need to spell out who those people are no I don't um, think you've gone but quite far enough to have All Might out there existing and like presenting this very obviously hyper masculine image but using it for the good of others around him like to to better everyone else uh is just i love it a lot it, it's what i need right now <laughs> well i know you found that but the scene that i found i won't say motivating but very much to the point was when recovery girl put his hand back together and said that's all the better it's gonna be and I ain't going to fix you anymore if you're going to keep doing this stuff to you. Figure yeah. out a different way to fight. Yeah. Yeah, the recovery girl is not... Yeah, it's tough love now. Because, like, Deku can't keep sacrificing himself like this. It's... Uh, yeah, I, well, like I said, I've been reading... I, I've been following the manga, and, uh, yeah, it... <laughs> The manga does not drop this theme. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't imagine it would because so far My Hero Academy has stuck to its guns with the messages it wants to send about what a hero looks like and what a hero does. Um, And also what a hero shouldn't do. Uh, And that's what I've loved about its writing so far. Uh, is because it's completely unashamed of of being idealistic in sort of what it views heroes as. Like, and it and it doesn't back down from it. It it doesn't it doesn't believe that it's foolish to want that sort of thing from a hero. So everybody's gone through their matches. People got pushed out of the ring in a big hurry, and this, that, and the other thing, or they're basically down to. The two people who you really want to square off with each other, because one of them you want to see his face wiped in the mud, and the other one you're cheering for. Yeah. 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 Bakugo Bakugo versus Todoroki. Yeah. And also it should be noted that Bakugo's fight previously against, um, who was it? The the guy who can harden his body? Yes. Uh, uh, Kirishima. Kirishima. That one was pretty good, too. Yep. But... Um, really? It was more straight. It was more straightforward, but it was still pretty fun to watch. Well, and yeah, it, 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 it had it had some room for tactical thinking, and it, where it shows that that Bakugo, you know, is not just is not just a dumb brawler, but he he actually has a sense of tactics. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that it says is everybody's quirk has a limit. That's the biggest thing I got out of this episode is it, it covered the basically yes everybody's quirk has a limit. But yeah, I'm super excited for the next match. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, 
This is a great episode. Five. Absolutely. Five. Ditto. All right. Uh, Rage of Bahamut Virgin Soul, episode 10, uh, where we get uh, Jean d'Arc backstory. Okay. Um, and, yeah, and it actually explained, like, why Muguro looks so different than uh, the previous image of L. Yeah, so, um, I was not expecting when I started this episode to see a immaculate conception of an angel, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. Or worse yet, Jonah Ark take a pair of hedge clippers and clip her wings. So, I was really worried, um, when this, when I found, when I saw that this episode was largely going to be a flashback to John, uh, like kind of post um uh post original rage of bahamut sort of like showing what happened to her between the first series and second um but it ended up being actually like really good Mm -hmm. um i'm always skeptical of flashbacks especially ones that are like designed to try and tug at your heartstrings but this one was done really well. Uh, particularly, like, I remember the the portion near the beginning where, like, sort of after Jean has had her power taken away from her by the angels, and now she's just, like, a normal person, uh, still trying to lead a group of soldiers, and them just not taking her seriously anymore, because it's like, yeah, she's just a girl now. And seeing her kind of like try and cope with that, well, except, uh, for, and, well, except for Kaiser. Kaiser takes yeah, it seriously. Ex- except for Kaiser, and also like the one other like big burly dude who basically towers over everyone else. Yeah, um, yeah, the one that goes, like, "You're gonna fight me next." <clears throat> yeah, yeah, but even but even when like she has those two on her side, that also means like she's now in a position where she has to rely on those two to like prop her up and that can't feel good yeah um and i think the i think the start of this flashback does a really good job of communicating sort of how kind of hopeless she felt after uh after her powers were taken um and kind of like why she ended up as she did uh and like the scenes of her uh like caring for um is it maguro uh Mu- yeah well is muguro. uh yeah muguro muguro like those were like generally like touching like <laughs> like having him uh like pick up uh vegetables and like fly over to her with the basket um like they were some really nice scenes and they made kind of the ultimate fate of uh of the two of them like all the more painful yeah um uh, especially especially at the end like where i feel like that scene was really like that scene was sold extremely well like it would not have had the same effect i don't think if uh after jean like covered her kid in blood and like 
chopped off his wings. Um, I think a big part of why that works so well is because Maguro still like trusted her. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of even after all that, I, I think it wouldn't have hit as hard if like he had kind of recoiled from her doing that. But instead, it was like I I trust you as my mother that this is the best thing. Yeah, and right now. Yeah, and what got me was like it's like was you know it explained like why uh, Mugaro's hair was dark it was because it was dyed it was dyed with the blood of demons. Yeah. Um, which like saying it out loud that sounds like the most sort of maudlin thing in the world. Uh, and normally I'd be rolling my eyes at it, but for some reason I'm fine with it, and I think it works. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. It wasn't like, maudlin. It was metal as hell. Yeah, no. Like, I'd say, I'd say in, in, in most other anime, I think it would be, like, super over the top and melodramatic. But yeah. uh, in this show, like, the way this show does it, it really worked for me. Yes. Um, and I'm not sure I can entirely explain why I was okay with it in Rage of Bahamut, but... Well... Yeah, like, every... Because, basically everything about this backstory just really worked for me. Well, because they executed it with conviction. That's why. Yeah. Yeah, it, it probably helped that, like, these characters... Like, they established these characters' histories and personalities really well beforehand. And so I already cared about them. Um... And I already was invested in, like, what had happened to them. Uh, so to actually see that backstory, it was like, oh, okay, I understand why these people are the way they are now. And it adds more context to their existence. Um, and I really like after the... <laughs> and, like, sort of to lighten the mood, I, I like how they do this. Um, like, after the credit sequence, it shows, like... Because the whole thing is a framing device of... Uh, Jean telling this to Nina, Nina who is the, uh, in the opposite cell, <laughs> and like after the after after the credits uh, music ends, it cuts to Nina going like, "Oh, I'm that's so sad. I feel so bad for you. We're totally gonna escape from this jail." Yeah, and the guards <laughs> and like it's... nobody gets out of here, and she's like, "You want that?" And it's 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 a real good way to lighten the mood after all that sort of crap that happened. Yeah, it's like you uh, want to bet. Yeah. Watch us get out of here. Stay tuned. So that that was a really yeah, this, that was a really clever trick. This show has been delivering the goods. Five. I I am consistently shocked given how skeptical I was of this season when it started and like and of how kind of like sort of rocky the start was that i'm enjoying it so much now um i'm both shocked and relieved because i i want to love rage of bombament um and so i'm i'm glad it's letting me (laughs) love it well the other thing is is you know we knew from the first season that a favorite character was not coming back, at least not at the moment. And, yeah, and, yeah. And so we're like, so what, are we going to get a, are we going to get a cheap chintzy substitute? No, we got Nina. Yeah. And 
Nina's turned out to be quite a surprise. Like initially, Nina did seem like a chintzy substitute, but she's she's grown to be like a like legitimately great character in her own right. Yep. Um, I give it a five, which, which is I'm very impressed by, given how much I did not care for her at the beginning. Uh, so definitely credit to the writing team for really making this work. Uh, so yeah, I'll give this episode a five. Dang, we better find an episode we don't like here, or this is almost going to be a clean sweep. <laughs> almost. <laughs> Alice did. Hey, Alice was a little, Al- Alice, Alice was a little Alice rough. did Alice us, but that's okay. Speaking of... <laughs> uh, Eccentric Family. Episode 10. Uh, uh, yeah, this was... Um, there's a lot of stuff that happened in this episode. Well, the, the, the main um, line that, that applies to Benton is Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. I love Yajiro. He's adorable. <laughs> uh, I love when he meets the other Tanuki who built the whole trap and he falls in it and turns back into a frog again. <laughs> he has met his match. That's what I... Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of love that Yajiro is like the most chill member of Yasuburo's family. So like, no matter what happens, he's just like, all right, I guess this is happening now. I'll just go along with it. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah. Yeah, but we're also getting like since like as like the election the like the election for trick magister goes on you know we start getting these uh these like senses of like they're like for like most of the episode i was like okay this seems to be going too well when is the sh- other shoe gonna drop yeah and then it's the like end, it's only episode 10 right now so and then yeah and then like yeah and so the, yeah at the end and you got like those bits from you know, Kaisei saying it's like, okay, something is up with something is up with Kurichiro. Yeah, and also you have you have the flashback um, with the eldest brother talking to their father, and the father saying like, the most important thing is that like you are going to make enemies, but you should make an equal amount of friends. Always have an equal amount of friends that you do enemies, so that when stuff goes down you have people to rely on. And the fact that you already have brothers you can you can put your trust in means you you start out at a better adva- advantage than I did. Um, like, which is like, wow, that's certainly not foreshadowing that someone's going to try and <coughs> mess him up uh, and that the brothers will have to band together to save him. Um, <laughs> and then also you have uh, Yajiro saying like, oh yeah, the this this guy totally support him. And they're like, wait, uh, that's strange. Uh, and then you have presumably the actual person who Yajiro is talking about uh, come out from uh, his room. Um, well, the, the one. yeah, so a, a bunch of different threads coming to a bunch of different omens popping up at the same time, uh, but leading to an outcome. But the victim of those omens is not what you're expecting. No. Uh, because yeah. you're thinking it's going to be the eldest brother who's going to be the trick magister, but it ends up being 
Yasuburo and Kaisei getting shot. Yeah. 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 So uh, yeah. So unless uh, so unless they're bro- unless the you know the brothers come together, uh, he's gonna be in a hot pot with her. Yeah. Yeah. So the question is like, because Ben Ten shows up in what. In what may or may in what may or may not have been a dream sequence, they leave it intentionally vague. Mm-hmm. Uh, like saying to Yasuburo, like it's a shame that I'm gonna have to eat you. Uh, and I feel like sort of the culmination of this season is going to be like on Benten on whether or not she will do that on like where like where she places her morality um uh, right now i because, i don't think because like ascent because like to her um not eating yasuburo means that yasuburo was able to make a fool of her make a fool of her and win um so, in order to retain what she feels is her pride as a Tengu, uh, she has to eat Yasuburo. So, this whole thing, I feel like, is going to culminate in Benten, like, having to choose, having to decide whether her pride is more important than basically the only person who's her friend who cares about her. Like other than her sensei, and like he's who actually... else does she? Because like who else does she have? Yes, like no one. And uh, then there's Nadine who's going. Oh, I think this is all just perfectly fine. It'll be interesting to see what his response to this is when he all figures out what's going on. Yeah. There's a there's a whole bunch of. Uh, intertwining plot lines that are coming together here which uh, dang interesting to tell you the truth yeah because I, I was I, I, I was not expecting the end of it for the two of them to end up shot and getting dragged off to be thrown into a hot pot yeah no I was expecting something to happen to Yasuburo's eldest brother yep yeah uh, so yeah, I'm definitely excited to see what happens in the next episode. I love how all this stuff is coming together. I think yeah. I would be more cautiously optimistic. This episode was very well constructed. Yeah. I, I give it a five. Oh yes. Definitely. Okay, uh, let's finally talk about uh, Gundam Thunderbolt, episode seven. <clears throat> Um, which was a mixture of some really good and lighthearted things and some like really kind of rough things, sometimes simultaneously, as we find out in the very, the very first segment. Yeah, that, like the end of that segment, that was like a punch in the gut. Yeah, because you think it's like, oh, she's sort of back to her old self again. And like, uh, I, I suppose I should be more clear. Um Oh gosh, what's what's the guy's name? The uh, Xeon okay. pilot. Uh, the guy's name is Daryl, and the girl's name is Carla. 
Yeah, yeah. So with Daryl, like, oh, Daryl and Carla are back together again, and they're hanging out, and they're being boyfriend and girlfriend again. And then, like, at the very end, you, like, she calls him dad. You're like, wait, what? Uh, and then it's revealed that, like, Daryl's having to pretend to be her father figure in order to, like, try and rebuild her psyche. It's just like, Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> That's rough. Um because like it means that Daryl has to still maintain an intimate relationship with her, but one that's very different from what he used to have. Um Well, yeah, and every time he meets with her, he sees like what he's lost. Yeah and what he might have or might not have. And, like, I feel like the ambiguity of whether or not any of this will actually succeed makes it even worse for him. <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, and then, and then, right, so, like, it goes from that segment... It goes from that segment to, you know, Daryl being, uh, you know, put, you know, on a, like, I guess a stealth, uh, a stealth mission to recover a spy. Although, although it gets me like, okay, if you're doing a stealth mission, what are you using mechs for? Yeah, also, why are you giving the the mechs fire axes for? Yeah. (laughs) Because, like, that immediately goes badly. Because a dude takes out his fire axe to try and deal with a uh, civilian who saw them, and he sets a tree on fire basically immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's so like... it does. It doesn't seem like the best. Uh, they don't seem like the best mobile suits to do a stealth mission with. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, like right. Yeah, if you're gonna like recover. Okay, if you're gonna recover, you know, you know, recover a spy, recover some information. You know, I mean, the way you do that is, okay, you have a team of special forces guys go in and do that, you know, without mechs, although you might want, you might have them, like, in reserve offshore or something like that. Yeah, in case stuff goes bad and you need the heavy guns. Yeah. But you don't keep the mechs in the jungle. (laughs) Yeah, that was real weird. (laughs) Well, initially they were, initially they were, like, in the lake and they stepped out of the lake into the jungle. (laughs) Yeah. Like they should have just stayed in the lake. <laughs> exactly. Maybe they were leaking. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so the stealth mission is botched almost immediately. Right. Uh, yeah, and, and in the meantime, you know, uh, EO, the uh, the Federation pilot, is having to cool his heels because his, mech, uh, his mech's under repairs. Yeah, EO and the red-haired girl, whose name I'm not remembering right now. Uh, uh, Bianca. Yeah, Bianca, who's awesome. Yeah, both of their mechs are damaged, so, like, they've got to take got to take the bench. Uh, and so their, their shuttle actually gets uh, surrounded um, by mobile suits, and uh, one of the mobile suits sends out a message like, hey, you're in our airspace, uh... Like, 
leave our air like leave, either identify yourselves or leave immediately and uh io and uh io's friend with the blue hair and the glasses i can't remember his name right now yeah um, i forgot him too um, immediately recognize the voice as their former commander from the first four episodes uh who had a real rough time of it in those four episodes yeah yeah, interestingly enough, that bit, that reveal was foreshadowed at the very beginning of episode five. Oh, really? Yes, there was one, there was a shot of the, uh, of, uh, the, like, uh, I guess the, uh, the casket containing, uh, Claudia. There was a shot of it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. In, at the very beginning of episode five. And... And so, and so, like, yeah, so it's like, ooh, what happened to that? And it turned out she got recovered by the, uh, she turned out she got recovered by the uh, South Seas people. But yeah, um, there wasn't a whole lot of action in this uh, episode, like, save for sort of the fallout of the mechs, um, like, botching their uh stealth mission but that that stuff it was pretty standard like things shooting at each other action um the most interesting stuff had to do with like the characters in this episode i feel and like kind of the reveal at the end uh i wasn't super invested in the stealth mission yeah i think yeah structurally this episode didn't quite add up to co- to a cohesive whole but yeah, it was interesting stuff. I give it a four. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I agree. It was still pretty solid despite that. Um, so yeah, definitely a four. Uh, okay, uh, that does it for um, the anime this week. Uh, I did actually want like I don't usually we don't usually talk about news, um, but I did think it was important to bring up this one. Uh, I linked it in the Skype chat for Larry and Ben. Um, but uh, there was an article written on uh, the Daily Beast recently by uh, Jake Adelstein, um, who you might recognize as the author of Tokyo Vice, um, which is a, a book about Jake Adelstein's uh, years living in Tokyo and working for um, working on the police beat of one of tokyo's largest newspapers the yomiuri shinbun hey just a quick editor's note here uh so since the recording of this episode um i did a little more research on the bill um and i did notice that there seems to be some controversy online about whether or not jake adelstein is a legitimate journalist um specifically talking about some of his claims in uh the books he's written there seems to be some disagreement whether or not like he is exaggerating things, things like that. So I uh, went ahead and looked up some alternate sources for uh, the bill that Adelstein is talking about, uh, particularly BBC and The Guardian. Both BBC and The Guardian uh, seem to agree with corroborate the points he makes in terms of the content of the bill. Uh, obviously, they don't approach it with the same sort of 
uh, editorial style, since Jake Adelstein is writing his piece like uh, a blog entry. And the BBC and The Guardian are writing there as more like traditional news stories. But otherwise, the uh, actual factual content of Adelstein's article seems to be still accurate. Uh, my apologies for not doing that due diligence beforehand. Uh, I honestly should know better. But thankfully, it does not seem to have affected any of the points we made in this particular case. Uh, and so he, he wrote an article about Japan's new anti-terror law that Abe and his uh, sympathetic legislatures um, helped push through. Um, Jake uh, Alstein calls it, uh, said it was steamrolled into law. We, we call it railroaded, but yeah, same thing. Well, uh, okay, it's a parliamentary system, so... Yeah. I mean, his party has a majority. His party has a majority in the parliament, so... Uh, yeah, and does Japan have any filibuster rules at all? I don't think um, so. I... Well, they have... The thing is, they have a constitution with... Yeah, so, you know, I, so... I know that. <clears throat> right, but 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 does the minority power? But does the minority party have like a rule like the filibuster that would require uh, the majority party to get like a, a two thirds vote to like the two thirds majority instead uh, of a, no uh, no okay. it's uh... <clears throat> it's it's so the minority party basically has no protections against. Yeah, that is, yeah, the majority party can do whatever they want. However, you know, however, you know, laws can be declared unconstitutional. Yeah. So, so sort of their, their hope would rely in the judicial system then. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so basically, uh, I'm going to directly quote the article here. Um, the, uh, new anti-terrorism bill. Uh, stipulates 277 crimes that police can arrest people for planning or simply discussing. Technically, because social media is covered in the legislation, even liking a related tweet or retweeting it could now be grounds for arrest on conspiracy charges, uh, which, as the uh, article later goes on to say, would be uh, pretty bad because, um, as some of you may know who are listening to this, um, may be aware of even from, say, playing the Phoenix Wright games, which are kind of like satires on the Japanese judicial system. Uh, it's uh, really hard out there for a defense attorney uh, in Japan um, because the it is an adversarial system um, where the 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 way the with the way the system works it favors the prosecution. Yeah, basically, you're guilty uh, until you prove yourself innocent. Yeah, uh, Jake Alstein uh, quotes, um, see if I can find the, uh, yeah, so for those, for those, uh, in many other countries, empowering police to arrest people on such a wide range of pretexts might not be so bad, but in Japan, authorities can hold a suspect for as long as 23 days with no right for the accused to have a lawyer present before the decision to file charges. For those indicted, the, the conviction rate is close to 99%. Which is nuts. <laughs> uh, like I said, guilty until you can prove yourself innocent. Yeah, like, it, it's been a long-running problem with the Japanese judicial system, and a <laughs> law like, and a new law like this just makes it even worse. 
Uh, uh, sorry, Bill, I should say, not Law. A new Bill like this makes it substantially worse. Um, and as the article also notes, it doesn't actually do anything against terrorism. Oh no, we, we just we just took a pig and put a label on it, but it still looks like a pig. Yeah, like none of the 277 crimes have to do with terrorism, despite the name of the law, Adelstein writes. Uh, so yeah, um, Abe doing bad, bad stuff again. Um, but it, it just seems particularly relevant given that, I mean, we had an anime that sort of like addressed these sorts of concerns a few seasons ago. Um, you might remember it. It, it was it was it was kind of popular by by the name of Psychopaths, um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to see because like entertain like there was also our entertain there, there was also Ungo, yeah yeah I, I man I I still need to finish Ungo because I remember like the first episode just really the first couple episodes just really didn't impress me but apparently it got way better, uh, but yeah like it like we all know that entertainment media kind of serves as a reflection of the things going on in a society at the time it's just inevitable because entertainment media is made by people who live in society so of course it's going to reflect the society they live in um but it's interesting interesting to see like sort of these two sides in anime that are kind of like bad they're kind of like representing the two two sort of conflicting views the multiple conflicting views that are going on in Japan as well, where you have some anime like say gate or, um, an irregular, uh, irregular at magic high school, I believe was the translated title. Yeah. Uh, sort of, sort of embracing this sort of new, this, um, sort of nationalistic movement that's gaining strength in Japan that, uh, celebrates the idea of a more militarized and, sort of a new militarized Japan that embraces its sort of imperialist past. Uh, and on sort of like the other token, you have uh, anime like Psychopaths um, and others that kind of like combat this idea of Japan becoming more... Uh, more militarized and uh, more authoritarian, um, and sort of seeing seeing that conflict play out in its entertain in the country's entertainment media is really interesting. Um, and like you can you can see that happening in America as well with our own entertainment media and how that's reflecting uh, the current conflicts our nation has. Uh, but yeah, like uh, this is real bad. Um, so I uh, I sympathize for um, Japanese citizens right now because their their rights are going to be encroached on significantly by this thing, uh, and hopefully it'll be declared unconstitutional. Yeah, one can only. But who knows? Abe seems to be getting getting away with a lot these days. Well, so. yeah, the thing about that is that 
Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know which way. I don't know which way the uh, does the does Japan have a Supreme Court? I'm not sure how their their uh, overview system, judicial overview system, works. Uh, well, the one thing in there said that you know this one person had been prosecuted so many times that the judge finally told him, "Hey, look, you know, find something different. I'm tired of seeing the same guy in here over and over for next." To okay. Nothing, yeah, they so. totally do have a. They, yeah, okay, no, they totally do have a Supreme Court. Um, well, you got to remember that their, yeah, constitu- I, I, their, con- I, their constitution and everything was drawn up after World War II by a bunch of people that live in the United States of America. Yeah, so yeah. It, it makes sense that there'd be a lot of stuff that feels familiar. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not sure sort of what direction their Supreme Court leans in, because I know that's certainly a concern that we had when... Um, uh, Scalia died is like okay well who's gonna get to appoint a justice now because like well it, it's 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 a pretty balanced court at this point uh, or or I should say it was <laughs> uh, and then we got Gorsuch um, but yeah I'm not sure whether the judi- where the Supreme Court in Japan sort of like leans conservative or leans progressive or is more in the middle. So dependent, so it'll kind of depend on that, I guess. Yeah, well, it would probably uh-huh. depend on the case too. But yeah, <laughs> if if anyone has, uh, I guess, um, uh, some insight to add to this about like what the fallout um, in terms of in, what the political fallout of this is likely to be, because I think we can guess the societal fallout pretty well. Um, but sort of what what the political fallout of this would be, um, whether the Supreme Court is likely to strike it down. If you have any insight on that, I'd love to hear it in, in the comments, honestly. Um, because I do like to keep uh, at least a little abreast of the uh, political ongoings uh, in Japan. Because as I said, it, it has an effect on uh, the entertainment that comes out of it. Um, It feeds into each other. Uh, but yeah, so I think that'll do it for this episode of BakaCast. I don't believe we have any uh, listener comments as of now. Oh. Yeah. You just have the ravings of a crazy old webmaster in there. Yep. <laughs> yep, just uh, just Larry mentioning that our... Uh, that our... Um, audio embedding embedding on project har he is not working properly uh so if if you want to listen to the podcast just in your web browser like on the website uh go to audio entropy um because there are because it's embedded there as well in uh dedicated audio players so you can just go there um the squarespace audio players work pretty well from my experience anyway uh, anyway, yeah, so if you'd like to leave us comments or questions, and please do, uh, you can do so either on www.audioentropy.com or on projectharahi.net or through our email address at bakacast at projectharahi.net. All right, Ben. Dustin. Three, two, one. Kitterbush. Uh, like I said, terrestrial TV bad. Anime good. Watch anime. See y'all later. Bye.